0: So, good morning. Those of you who have, um, have been lucky enough to spend some of the previous Sundays with us will know that we are in the midst of a series here at Zeo Church, looking at relationships, looking at friendships, looking at the power and the potential of love. And we're doing that because as a church, we've spent a whole year, because did, did you know, someone told me yesterday, people, I don't want to break bad news to you, but apparently it's 10 shopping Saturdays till Christmas. Yeah. I know, I know, yeah. I just thought I'd share that with you so you could feel the same panic I did. Anyway, now put that out of your mind. So we're coming towards the end of this year, but we've had such an amazing year. Thinking about the giants in our society, what are the biggest challenges? To us as individuals, to us communally, as people in this culture, in this time, in this place, what are the things that our society struggles with? And as people of God, as people following Jesus, reading the Bible, what does the Bible have to say into those things, into our current culture? And this is the series we've been looking at, looking at the basics. The, what, do we, what does the Bible say to us about those be- beyond anyone else? That's what BASE stands for, the people who we love more than anyone else, How do we do those relationships better? How do we reach the potential of what those things could be? And this morning, I want to talk to you about the potential and power of lifelong, long-term relationship. We're going to look at the challenge of loving long-term and how we do that. And I want to ask you a question this morning, particularly thinking of the rising generation. So people are in their teens, their 20s, their 30s, maybe. What, what do you think is the blueprint that most people hold in their minds for modern relationships? I wonder what you think. In July 2014, Time magazine reported the results of a survey which asked millennials exactly that question. And it asked them to, make, so to vote on a series of modern alternatives or options for what sort of marriage they would support. What would they like to go for? You can see some of them on the screen here. So there were some interesting suggestions. You'll see there is the till death do us part, which you might say is more traditional, except in this case, divorce was actually uh, made illegal. So once you got married, you're stuck with it. There's literally no getting out. But there were some other options, if you're thinking that sounds a little too committed for you. There was the presidential marriage. So this is where uh, your vows last for a term of four years. And then after eight years, you can start again with someone else. Anyone fancying that this morning? Some of you are counting. Oh, yeah, I'd be up for that. Yeah, okay. There is uh, the multiple partner marriage, which I always think is interesting because I could do with an extra pair of hands around the house. So, that was an option as well that you had the option to marry more than one person if you wanted to. There was the real estate marriage, very practical. Before you start, you think, how long do I want this to last? How much do I. You could choose, what it says, a three, a five, seven, ten, or thirty years. So, presumably, in each relationship, you think, I think this one's got maybe seven years in it. And you make a decision between you, how long are you committing for? So, you're not saying anymore we'll stay together forever. You're saying, I. I'll commit to five years or I'll give you seven years or I'll give you ten and everyone knows where they stand. The most popular, though, was the beta marriage, the blue line here. And what that is, is it takes its name from uh, the the world of product launching. If you have a new product, a beta test is where you go through a phase before you properly launch it, where you test it all out, you try it, you you do some market research, you look for pitfalls, and you can still adapt and change if you need to because you're not really committed. And the beta marriage, therefore, is where you've got two years to basically trial it, give it a trial run, but it, you don 't actually become committed until you 're two years into. So if you want to, you can bail in that time. What do you think about that one? That was the most popular and it 's interesting isn 't it, how our culture is so commitment fearful now, and if you think about it it 's not just in relationships it 's in many, many contexts. so you don 't tend to buy a car now, you lease one because then if you change your mind you can swap it or you can upgrade it you can change it. even your phone the phone most of us have got in our pocket we don't buy a phone and then keep it till it dies or stops working well sometimes we do but we that isn't the intention you keep it until there's a better one a better model out and you upgrade don't you that's what you do you don't keep the same one that would be crazy and it's interesting in our culture that is so commitment phobic, how that then relates to our relationships. And in the context of that, I wonder if the happily ever after model of relationships, particularly of marriage, you know, you could say, is this just a Disney myth now? And it's interesting, if you look at the rates of something like divorce in our culture, actually, divorce rates are falling, In fact, the stats that I was looking at last week said that in 2017, there were fewer divorces. It was the lowest divorce rate that has been since 1973. Actually, the divorce rate is much lower than it has been at times when it was a bigger issue. But part of the reason for that is, so is the rate of marriage. People are nervous about entering into this sort of commitment. Some figures just out of interest, in 2016, there were 4,700 marriages a week compared to 1940, so quite a long time ago, when there were 9,000. So somewhere between the 40s, 50s and now, we've literally halved the marriage rate in our culture. And we know that long-term relationships like marriage are a challenge. Divorce rates rise the longer you've been married. That's not rocket science, is it? But the younger you are when you get married, the higher the chance that you will get divorced. Interestingly, those of us who have been married a while, I've I've been married 20 years next year, and apparently if you make 20, the odds are very good. So I said to James, this is good news for us. But we do know that the challenge of long-term relationship is a real one. And it's not just marriage. We have many other ways of forming lifelong commitment in our society now. If we look at civil partnerships and say, maybe it's something about those people who get married that's the problem, but civil partnerships too, the rate of disillusion of of civil partnerships is also rising. If we look at same-sex marriage and something that's a, a new thing in our culture, even there the rates of divorce and separation are starting to rise. So we see this across all the different contexts where we are trying to do our human best to form committed life-long relationships. And there are plenty of people who are asking if actually the problem is, is that we're doing something that's out of date. I, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching, I shared a lot from this book by a guy called Zygmunt Bauman. He's a philosopher who wrote this book called Liquid Love. And it's talking about the way we do relationships in our society now. And he said this about marriage. He said, commitment to another person or persons particularly an unconditional commitment, and most certainly a till death do us part, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer kind of commitment, looks forever more like a trap that needs to be avoided at all costs. Ouch. That's harsh. But that's what he's seeing in our society's attitude to a commitment to something lifelong like a marriage is. So what does the Bible have to say into that culture? Does it just mean that it's totally out of date? What does it have to speak about the potential of that sort of relationship? And of course, the Bible talks about marriage right at the start in Genesis. But what we see in the New Testament is that those verses about marriage are quoted in a couple of interesting contexts. And I want to share with you some thoughts that come from those spaces. Here's the first one. This is from Matthew 19. And this is Jesus quoting the original Old Testament blueprint for why marriage exists. It's the beginning of this verse, is the Genesis quote. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And then Jesus adds his thoughts on it, saying, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And two things are clear from Jesus' quoting of that Old Testament blueprint and the way that he talks about it. And the first one is, Jesus clearly has an intention that there is a lifelong commitment here, that marriage is something that is designed to last long term. The context of this passage is that it was at a time in their culture where divorce was changing and developing, and there was something that was called an any-cause divorce. And what any-cause divorce meant is that the guys who were married, because I'm afraid it was a very patriarchal society then, so a guy who was married could at any point in his marriage decide that he would basically had enough of his wife. If she was annoying him, she burnt the toast, done something wrong, or even just if he rolled over in bed one day and thought, nah, nah, I've gone off her. He could decide on an any cause divorce, basically just say, that's it, you're out, you're done. And there was nothing the wife could do about it. And this had become very popular in that culture. And someone has come to Jesus, because although it was popular, some people argued there was a bit of a for or against thing. It was one of the theological issues of the time. So someone had come to Jesus trying to catch him out and said, what do you think? Is it okay to divorce? for any cause like that. And this is what Jesus is asking. And he's clearly saying that marriage is intended to be permanent. When he talks about, when he quotes the Genesis, Old Testament stuff, he says that the the husband and wife are united. He uses this word that means that they're stuck together like glue. It's the same word that the Greeks would have used for when you have a wound that's mended. It's designed to be permanent, so clearly that's what he had in mind. But also, he, he, see, he clearly sees it as something that's good for both parties. So when he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate, that word joined together is, is the word that comes from farming when you yoke two animals together on a plow. So it's a permanent joining, but also it's about how you can do more together than you could do apart. How there might be some challenges in life that you can't do on your own. But when you come together in something about the potential of this lifelong committed covenant relationship means that you, you join your forces, you yoke together, you release more potential. So what is it about that? How do you do that? How does it release something so special? And I want to look at someone else who quotes the same Genesis blueprint for marriage. And this is Paul. So he's the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. And and most of the rest of this talk, I'm going to be quoting some of the amazing poetic things that Paul says about lifelong relationships and committed love and the potential of love. But this is him quoting that same verse. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he says this. He says, this is a profound mystery. And what Paul's reflecting there is there's something happening here that's bigger than what I can understand. He's looking at something which on the face of it is just two people getting together for life, but... There's more, something supernatural is happening in that space, something beyond human understanding, something special. Literally what he says is um, there's a deep secret hidden within this, something bigger that it hints towards, it whispers towards, it echoes something else. And he talks in this passage, in it's a book called Ephesians, in Ephesians 5, about how something about the way that we do lifelong committed relationships echoes something about the way that God has committed to us as people, that God loves his church, his people. There's this supernatural significance. So just slightly earlier in Ephesians 5, He says this, and he's talking about how husbands love wives, but just by the way, wives, that goes both ways. He says, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, I don't know about you, but honestly, I read that and I slightly think, huh? And then you read it again and you think, no, I still don't really understand it. There's some confusing words in there. I want to show you the way that the message translation puts that verse. Because when we read these verses, we remember that Paul wasn't writing in English. So we're always reading a translation. And the message is a paraphrase that tries to, put, to get the essence of what he's trying to communicate into more modern day language. So it's sometimes easier to understand. And this is how the message puts that section of his letter. It says, Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with wholeness. And remember the context here. Paul is talking about marriage, and he's reflecting on this profound mystery that it somehow has a significance, that it speaks to us of a bigger potential, of a different type of love, the most amazing type of love that God shows for us. And there's something about the way we can do lifelong committed relationships that echoes not just that love, but the potential, the power of what that love can bring to us. And I want to just look at three things that this passage that Paul talks about here, that some of the things that he's talking about say about the potential of that love. What is it that it does that's so special? Three things. The first thing is this. It is about when one person chooses another person. In marriage, we find someone, we choose them, and we decide to make this intentional commitment to them for the rest of our lives. The language that Paul uses literally means we set them apart. We make them special. We make them holy. It's the same language that's used to describe things that are holy, special, different, significant, And in the context of a relationship, when someone does that for us, whether it's marriage or whether it's another form of lifelong committed relationship, that is a tremendously powerful thing. It's Freud who said this, he said, How bold one gets when one is sure of being loved. When you have a relationship, a context where someone has made that choice, they've spotted you, they've seen something in you, they've made a decision to go with you, and they're willing to commit to that for lifelong, long-term commitment, that is a powerful thing. They're saying, you are special, you're valuable, you have potential, I'm going to invest in you, and I'm going to commit to doing that for the long term. That security, that space creates something amazing. And the second thing that we do when we make that type of commitment to someone realistically is we do that in spite of their faults. So I don't know if anybody here is a perfect person. Any perfect people in the room? (laughs) We like you too, Harry. But none of us are perfect, are we? We all do have faults, we have flaws, we have things about us that aren't always the best. You might see us on a good day in church and we've got our smiley faces on, but trying to see, try seeing us first thing the next Monday morning and you might see a slightly different picture. And if you think you have no faults, then do get married or get into a lifelong relationship and then you'll find out what some of them are. If you think someone else has no faults, then try marrying them because you will find out what some of them are. When you've spent 20 years with someone you get to know them pretty well well 30 40 50 years some of you guys have been married longer than i have but marriage is about creating a space where we make a decision to view someone as though they didn't have those faults we make a decision to focus on them as though they're that paul literally says cleansed, purified, clean washed in dazzling silk they are a version of themselves that actually they're not yet we see the potential of what they could come and we choose to see that in them We choose to cheer them on. We choose to love them in that way. Tim Keller, who's a Christian author, wrote this book called The Meaning of Marriage. And he said this about what happens when we do that. He said, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. If we as people can choose to love someone else in this way, we echo something of the way that God loves us. We bring something of the power and potential of what love can be if we can push the limits on it and do it well. And what we release in the person we love is a space where they can become the best version of themselves. And the third thing that we then do is we present them to the world as that best version of ourselves. Because when you have someone who loves you that much and is committed to you and sees you as the best version of yourself, you can step out into things that you couldn't do otherwise. Some of us as parents or godparents or friends, or we get to do that with kids. And we see literally a kid who has no idea what they can do or how capable they are learning, how amazing they can be, and we get to cheer them on and celebrate that stuff. But for us, even as adults, we need that. And in these lifelong committed special relationships, someone else chooses to commit to us and does that for us. We can step into things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. We can be more courageous than we would be able to be. We can be the best version of ourselves. That's an amazing thing. And we know that there is something sacred, something special about marriage in particular. That's why so many people believe that marriage is a special, sacred, covenantal relationship that's different from any other kind. But I would suggest to you that that same potential of what love can be is available to us in other sorts of relationships. So if you're sat here this morning and you're not married, you're not in that place, there is still the potential both for you to give and receive that type of love. We know people long for this. Two weeks ago, I spoke about the potential of friendship. And we live in a culture, a society that yearns, that longs for this sort of love and friendship the security that you can get this show friends which probably most of us have watched did you know that it is the most downloaded show of all time on netflix apparently at any one time four percent of all of the things that are being watched on netflix is episodes of this show and that's not just in my house although it is quite often in my house We love this. Why? What was it about this show about four people who decided to do life together that caught the heart so much? Not just of my generation because it's 25 years old. I watched this flipping thing when it was new. But now my daughter's generation are watching it. Why? Why did it catch us so much? We are addicted to the idea of friendship that pushes the limits of love that says, actually, what if I committed to you and I was there for you and i chose to do that with you not because i married you but just cuz we're amazing friends and i think you're awesome what if i chose to cheer you on in spite of your faults to create a space where you could be the best person you could be where i would be there for you whatever life threw at you so what i want to talk about in the rest of our time this morning is how how do we do that How do we love in a way that pushes against what our society tells us? Don't take any risks, don't commit yourself, hold something back, stay safe. How do we choose to love in a way that defies that? so that we bring something of this potential to the world. Because we must recognize there's a spiritual battle here. So much of what we've talked about in this series is about amazing things that God has created for us as people who are designed to be connected, designed to experience the intimacy of friendship, relationship, human connection. But we live in a world where there are spiritual forces that are much darker that would love to break that up that would love to steal the potential that God has put out into the world. Because if we had a world of people who were able to be the best versions of themselves, that could change our world. If we could be the best versions of ourselves, but even more than that, if we could step into the best that God longs to do through us, if we could take everything that we're carrying, all our hopes, our dreams, our visions, the things that we're inspired for, and release them to their full potential in this world, how could it change everything? So there is a spiritual battle here that we need to push back against and make a decision to do this better. And I want to bring you five thoughts that come from probably the most famous passage ever written from the Bible about love. And it's this one, which is another passage that Paul wrote. And it's from a book called 1 Corinthians in the Bible. You may have heard it at a wedding or something like that. And Paul is talking here. It's this beautiful poetic little passage about the power of this sort of love, committed long-term love. So I want to share five thoughts on how we do this, and each time I want to ask you a question. So you might want to go into this time thinking about some of the relationships in your life. Maybe you are married, you have a committed covenantal relationship like marriage, maybe you 're thinking about your friendships, particularly the, the people who are really special to you, your best friends, maybe you 're thinking about a relationship that has potential, or maybe you 're thinking about a relationship that is struggling, lifelong loving is hard. maybe there's a relationship that actually you need some inspiration on some help with. So here's five thoughts that come from that passage, and this is the first one. It's not rocket science, given what I'm talking about, but it is this. Love long-term. Choose to do this as a long-term investment. You know, it's like they say about the stock market. Don't do it short-term. This is a long-term investment. You put your money in to see where it goes A long time away from now, this is not about short-term gain. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says this. It says, love never gives up. Literally, the language that Paul uses there says, love perseveres. Love pushes the limits. Love doesn't give in too easily. Paul is using a Greek word there for love, which isn't the sort of emotional, instinctive love in the good moments when it's all going really well. I just love you so much. He's talking about the type of love that is a decision. I have made a decision to do this. I'm going to choose to love you and I'm going to do it whatever. In fact, there's a sense in the language that he uses here which is saying it's contrary to what you're feeling. This is about the moments when you actually don't feel loving at all. It's like when I leave the house to get to work and I'm slightly late and as I'm pulling out of the drive I look up to discover that my beloved husband has left the bathroom window open again. He did that last week. So I phoned him to tell him as I was, there, I, as I was going back into the house to shut the window because it, it just made me feel a lot better. I don't think it made him feel better because he was in a work meeting by then and having his wife phone to tell him that it's possibly not the best moment. There are moments in lifelong committed relationship where you will not feel loving. And this is about a contrary decision to do something that is not what you feel. To choose to do it long-term. So I want to ask you my first question. Is there a relationship that you're thinking of here where you need something that's going to help you to do that long-term? Do you need more grace? Do you need to find some more energy, find more patience? I often need that. I'm not the most patient person. Do you need to take a deep breath right now and say, God, help me? I want to do this better. I want to do it long-term. I want to persevere. Do you have a relationship this morning where, if you're honest, you are thinking, I think I might bail on this? Maybe it's a friendship that you're just really struggling with. Maybe it's your marriage, and you're like, man, this is too hard. Maybe there's something better there. But is God whispering to you this morning, don't give up? Love long-term. Push the limits. We can do this. Don't miss the potential of what this relationship could be. Number two is this put someone else first. Paul in the second week of this series talked much more about this how can we be other centered in the way that we love because the honest truth about long-term lifelong relationship is it's not about you. But that is radical to our culture. This is a guy called Anthony Giddens, he's a sociologist. And he's talking, another person, a commentator, talking about the way that we love. And he's talking about what he calls the pure relationship, which is the way that he says our society loves in our current culture. And he says this, Each person is in it for what can be derived by each person, continued only insofar as it is thought by both parties to deliver enough satisfaction for each individual to stay within it. I don't know about you, but... I don't think I'd last very long in that sort of relationship where the other person would only stay with me as long as I was giving enough satisfaction for them to stay within it. It feels quite scary. It feels quite insecure. It feels quite pressured. But that's the reality of what, how our society tells us to love. God's love, the potential of this sort of love is something so different. It's about the ultimate security, intimacy, a safe place. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 4. At the end of the verse, it says, Love cares more for others than it does for itself. Loving like this is about putting someone else first. I love the way the Passion Translation, this is another translation of what Paul says, puts it. It says, Love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements or inflate its own importance. This is about being other-centered. It's about how can I make this person shine? How can I create a space where they can be even better, where they can be the best version of themselves? How can I cheer them on? How can I celebrate everything that they are? And when we do that for one another in a balanced way, in a relationship, in a friendship, in a marriage, that's that yoking together that Jesus was talking about when suddenly we release this potential because together we can do so much more. It's like the... I don't know if you've ever ridden a tandem. Anyone ever been on a tandem ride? Boy, is that a good test of how much you trust the other person that you're with. But it is about when we do this together, we can get over obstacles. We can climb hills that we couldn't do on our own. We can go faster, further, better. We can do more as individuals, but even together. That's what happens when we put others first. So my third question, how, my second question, how could you change the way that you're acting and reacting in the relationship that you're thinking of so that you could help the other person grow more, cheer them on to be even better, to celebrate better who they are, to give them the opportunity to become the best version of themselves. And my number three is one suggestion, actually, of something that you might be able to do, and it's this stop nitpicking Did you know that you're not perfect? Did you know the person you're married to is not perfect? Now that, you're like, yeah, that I knew. Did you know that your friends are not going to be perfect? When I'm teaching teenagers about friendship, I say this to them all the time. If you expect your friends to be perfect and ditch them the minute it becomes apparent that they're not, you will not have many friends because there are no perfect people in the world 1 Corinthians 13.5 says this, Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others, but in our human attempt at love, if we're not careful, we so often do, don't we? I love the, what Rob Parsons says, he's talking about marriage, where he says that every marriage, particularly the longer you've been married, has what he calls a few grenades. It's like things that your partner did way back. And, and when you're in a row with them, when you're in your worst moments, you bring those grenades out and hurl them back at them. Like, take this. I remember you messed up like seven years, three months and 24 days ago. And I'm going to tell you about it again. It's so easy for us in our human way of doing love to do that. Let some of these things go. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. This is a proverb from the Bible, some ancient wisdom, Proverbs 17.9. It says this, love overlooks the mistake of others. Dwelling on the failure of others devastates friendships. And it's true. So if we want to love long-term, if we want to release the potential of what love can be, we have to make a decision to let some of those things go. And in the place of that is my number four. What we choose to do, therefore, is we celebrate the good stuff instead. Did you know your mind has a negative bias? All human beings are better at spotting negatives than positives. This is another thing that Paul wrote. This is Philippians 4.8. He says, summing it all up, friends, I'll say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. How would it change the relationship you're thinking of right now if you could do that? How would it change it if you spent half of the time that you spend reflecting on how annoying that person is being right now, thinking about some of the most amazing things about them? Because unless you make an intentional decision to do that, particularly if this is a challenging phase for that relationship, you won't do it. Maybe some of us, what we need to do this afternoon is go home, grab a quiet moment, get a cuppa, get a piece of paper, and just write down all the good things about that person. Did you forget? Why you made friends with them in the first place? Did you forget why you love them? Did you forget why you married them? Because life can get in the way sometimes, particularly when we're both under pressure, when we're under strain, when we're struggling ourselves. We lose track of how amazing these other people are. Do you need to make a decision to do that today? And number five then is this. Just be there How can we make a decision to be there for one another? I love the way that this passage ends. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this type of love, this amazing, potential-filled, just mind-blowing love does these things. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I love the defiance in that. Can we choose to love some people defiantly like that, saying, no, I will always protect you, I will always love you, I will always trust you, even when you've messed up. I will believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. When you've been the worst version of yourself, I will choose to see the best. I will always, always do that for you. And how would it change the life of that person if you did that? How does it change your lives when people do that? For you, it's amazing. I've had people who've loved me like that and its I wouldn't be doing half the stuff I can do now if it wasn't for those people who are still with me and still doing life with me. I love when uh, when Paul says that love always protects. That word literally means it's a it's a place of shelter. It builds a roof over you, and it has two functions. It protects you from the challenges of life on a rainy day. I don't know if you were out last night. I was on Twitter late last night, and I was seeing that the the Hitchin Street Angels, some of the amazing people who go out late at night, Fridays, Saturdays, to look after people who've been out clubbing or who might need some support, they were out in the pouring rain last night, and I love this image that. Love Love builds a shelter over us for the rain and storms of life. But it's more than that. And it's the same word that's used in another very commonly quoted passage, which is from the Bible. It's 1 Peter 4, 8, that says that we should love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So love builds a roof to protect us, not just from the mess and storms of life, but from our own weaknesses, our own failings, our own inadequacies. Because it supports us, it protects us, it creates security, and it helps us to become the best version of ourselves that we could be. So be there. Make a decision to do that, to always protect, to always trust, to always hope, to always persevere. Because Paul ends this beautiful poetic passage with the most powerful three words about the potential of love, and it's these words. He says, love never fails. But so often in our culture, human love does. We need God's help, don't we, to do this better, to release the potential of what this type of love can be. So why don't we stand and I'm going to pray for us all and we'll get the band to come back. And so right now you might want to close your eyes again just so you can focus in this moment on what God is whispering to you. If you're with us for the first time today, we believe that God wants to speak into our lives. He knows what you're going through. The relationship you've had in mind all this time I've been speaking, he knows that person. He knows you. He knows the challenges, the triumphs, the pitfalls, the perils of that friendship. And he wants to release something amazing in it. So you might want to just bring that person to mind right now. Even speak them in your mind to God right now and say, this is who I'm thinking of. God, this is, this is the relationship I need your help with. And Father God, we do just ask for your supernatural power to fill each and every one of us this morning. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, that through you flowing through us, we can have a potential beyond what we could do as mere human beings, that we can push into the potential of relationship and love and friendship, and those more committed relationships our marriages, the lifelong relationships that we have that can be so hard. We can do it because you strengthen us, because you flow through us. Because we do it in the context of our friendship with you, Lord God, which makes us better than we could ever be. We're so grateful for that. So Father, for every relationship that people are thinking of in this space this morning, for every friendship that's been brought to mind, for every marriage that people are naming, for every other committed relationship that people are thinking about, We just ask that you would bring your blessing, bring your grace, bring your wisdom, and whisper to people's hearts right now what they need to hear from you to make that step forward in that relationship. Lord God, we pray for relationships that are struggling today. We pray for people who, if they're honest, have brought a relationship to you right now, which they have every intention of bailing on, and we say, God, give us new hope Give us new vision. Help us to see the potential, but also help us find a way through how do we get past those things that are difficult. Inspire people this morning. And finally, we pray for people who, as they've sat listening, their sadness is that they don't feel they have those type of friendships, that they've heard this and they yearn for a space where they can be loved like that, where they can have the security and the safety to be the best version of themselves. And we say, Father God, Bless us all with those type of friendships. Nudge us where we can be those friends to other people. Make us a family in a space where no one is forgotten, oh God. That we can reach the potential of this friendship. And before I finish and get the band to play, I just want to give an opportunity here this morning because the most amazing expression of that friendship is in what God offers us. So if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to God, And maybe this is the first time you've ever heard someone talking about how you can have a relationship with God that is friendship, that is that type of love. There is no better space to live life in than knowing that you are loved unconditionally by God. And that's what he longs to do. So if you've never had the opportunity to do that, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to that this morning. So if that's you right now, why don't you just raise a hand, wave at me, catch my eye, I can see you, and then I'm going to pray. So if that's you, if you want to take a moment this morning to say yes, if you want to step into that place of intimacy and security, security with God, then why don't you just do that now? And then I'm going to say a final prayer and hand back to the land. So Father God, we thank you for the ultimate security of the love that you give to us. We're so grateful. We could never be the people that we are without the way that you love us. We're so grateful for how you love us, for the amazing privilege of getting to do what we do and doing life in partnership, in friendship with you, Lord God. Thank you for this amazing potential, for a love that defies and challenges, that always protects, always trusts, always remains, for a love that never fails. Just pray your blessing on each and every one of us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.